tonight's topic is called Real Intent and Full Purpose of Heart. And I've been studying this topic here and there, not intentionally, but I've come across it so much in the last several months that I just started jotting down a lot of notes regarding this. And I think it's a really, really fascinating topic to get into the weeds on. Um, at first, I was thinking, well, that's interesting. You know, Moroni's Promise tells us, you know, you can find out if the Book of Mormon's true with real intent. And that was really all I'd seen up until probably last year. However, you know, my, my goal with this presentation is to talk about how big of a topic this is and how important it is. It's sort of like you've got all this patchwork on the quilt of the doctrine of Christ. You've got baptism and, you know, baptism of fire. You've got a rebirth. You've got first, second comforters. You've got faith. You've got repentance. There's all these principles, but really the thread that ties all of these together. And you'll find this concept, real intent and full purpose of heart, used in every aspect of the doctrine of Christ. It goes together with it. It's, you, you can't have one without the other. And so we talk a lot on these, on these sessions about what the doctrine of Christ is what to do. Tonight, we're going to be talking about how the Lord taught us how to do it. You know, this is the condition of the heart that's required in order to unlock the power of living the gospel. And so with that, we'll, we'll go ahead and get started. I don't claim to know all about God's personality or his demeanor, or his, his attributes. I'm still learning, of course, but there are a couple of scriptures that are interesting to start out with in regards to how God operates. And just a few sentences here and there throughout the scriptures, but one at a time. And I think this gets at the core of why he's asking us to have real intent and full purpose of heart. This is from the Isaiah Institute translation, Isaiah chapter 46. What I have spoken, I bring to pass. What I have planned, I do. Isaiah 46, 11. the Lord does what he plans. He does what he says he's going to do. Here's another one in the book of Abraham. There is nothing that the Lord thy God shall take in his heart to do, but what he will do it. Starting to see that connection there. The Lord doesn't take anything into his heart unless he's serious about it, unless he intends to do it. You're familiar with this one. This is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. The stuff that he does and the stuff that he values is all the same. His work and his glory is the same thing. They're perfectly aligned. And we talk about the word integrity quite a bit with learning to live the everlasting covenant. You got to live it with integrity. Um, that's said quite a bit. Integrity, you know, the root word for integrity is the same one that's used for integration. You're integrated. You're fully integrated. Your thoughts, your desires, your motives, your, your actions, um, your beliefs are all integrated into one. The opposite of integrity, disintegration. You've got fracturing. You've got breaking apart. You've got chaos and destruction. Whereas integrity and integration is really the process of creation, bringing everything about you and your personality and your belief system and your actions into perfect alignment so that there's harmony between those two and three and four things, right? And so as we talk about integrity and, and real intent, um, what you intend to do, that's got the same root as integrity, to intend, um, we're gonna take a look at some, some scriptures and this is gonna be very scripturally heavy. I don't know if I should, you know, <laughs> take a bow or else uh, apologize for that. I don't know, depending on your learning styles, but we're going to be hitting lots of scriptures in this one pretty quick. 
And so bear with me, I'm going to try to keep this under an hour, but we're going to go through a lot of slides and I'll, I'll try to keep moving pretty quickly. But um, I'm going to be showing you all of these scriptures because, again, my purpose is to show you how broad and how pervasive this idea is we're talking about tonight. God knows our intentions. Alma 18 verse 30 says, and he looketh down upon all the children of men, and he knows all the thoughts and intents of the heart. For by his hand were they all created from the beginning. Another one's in Hebrews 4:12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Nephi, 2 Nephi chapter 9, verse 41. Come unto the Lord, the Holy One, the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and he employeth no servant there. And there is none other way save it be by the gate. For he cannot be deceived, for the Lord God is his name. Starting to see the theme here? We can't trick God. We can't fool him. The intentions of what we're doing cannot be hypocritical in any way. Mosiah 4.30, one more for this slide. If you do not watch yourselves and your thoughts and your words and your deeds and observe the commandments of God and continue in the faith of what you have heard concerning the coming of our Lord, even unto the end of your lives, you must perish. So we have there, the Lord is very aware, scripturally, we are taught that the Lord is aware of our intentions and that we need to watch them. We need to keep an eye on them. Uh, King Benjamin told his people, you got to keep an eye on these things. Always watch your thoughts, your intents, your words, your deeds. All of that is important because we talked about that integrity in the beginning. Jesus was asked, what is the great commandment? And you guys all know this probably by heart, right? Someone came to him and said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. That's what we recite all the time. First and great commandment, love God. Second one, love your neighbors like yourself, right? Nope, there's more to it than that. Keep reading. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. See? This idea of real intent, full purpose of heart, doing things with integrity, is joined to his commandments. In John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, it says, The hour cometh and is now when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what he said to the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. The Samaritan woman. But yeah, that's what he taught the lady. It's about the heart. You know, and it, and sure, several of you have seen uh, The Chosen, you know, the TV series, The Chosen. There's that episode, you know, in, in, in episode eight, I think it was the last one where he talks to her about this very principle. It's going to change. The New Testament, the new covenant is all about the heart. It's not about mountains or temples or laws or rules. It's about the heart. I want your heart. And the woman of Samaria um, was excited to hear that because she was beaten down. She was worn down. She was tired 
of the Jewish law being so oppressive. But anyway, Jesus, there are commandments. There are things we need to do and we need to follow, but we need to do them in the right way is what we're being taught in these scriptures. And we'll talk a lot more about what that looks like later on. So here's what Jesus taught. In Mark 7, verses 15 through 23, there is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said unto them, are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whosoever, that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draft, purging all meats. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and defile the man. And Jesus particularly says, don't let that stuff get into your heart. So we can see that the heart is very important in this equation. Let's keep going. Third Nephi chapter 10, verse six. O ye house of Israel, whom I have spared, how oft will I gather you as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, if ye will repent and return unto me with full purpose of heart. Third Nephi 18, verse 32, ye shall not cast him out of your synagogues. This is referring to people who are unworthy to take the sacrament, right? Jesus has commanded people, do not let the unworthy people take my, my flesh and blood. Um, or else they'll be condemned. So right after that, he's talking about these people. Ye shall not cast him, the unworthy one, out of your synagogues or your places of worship. For unto such ye shall continue to minister. For you know not by what they will return and repent and come unto me with full purpose of heart, and I shall heal them. And ye shall be the means of bringing salvation unto them. Third Nephi 12 23 to 24. Therefore, if ye shall come unto me or desire to come unto me and remember that your brother has aught against thee, go your way unto your brother and first be reconciled unto thy brother and then come unto me with full purpose of heart and I will receive you. Jacob 6, verse 5. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, I beseech of you in the words of soberness that you would repent and come with full purpose of heart. And he gives a little bit of a hint of what that looks like here. And cleave unto God as he cleaveth unto you. Lots of examples from the scriptures. I only chose about a third of the ones that I found, you know, in my study guide. But I want to show you guys that this message is everywhere. Full purpose of heart is attached to so many of the commandments in the, in the doctrine of Christ. It's not something that can be edited out. We can't gloss over it. It has to be taught in conjunction with the commandments because this is the how to do it, not just the what, right? And so, you know, as we live this gospel and do the best we can um, with varied success, um, we may occasionally have questions. 
And some of these that I just thought of off the top of my head, and, and some of these are from my own life as well. Some of these questions that pop up are, you know, I'm doing everything I know how to do. Why isn't this working? What are the fruits of all of these labors? I'm not seeing many fruits. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm doing a lot of things, but not a lot of fruits. How about this question? Where did all the miracles go? How, how long, oh Lord, until I can have whatever it is you're asking for? You know, the patience factors, like I'm praying for this thing, you know, praying my guts out. Where is this thing? Um, another question might be, should I keep asking even when the answer seems to be kind of a no? I'm asking, I'm not getting it. Do I, do I, do I keep going? Uh, do I weary the Lord like the importunate widow? Or, or do I take a no and, uh, you know, try a different strategy? Lord, have we not done all these great things in thy name? You know, that's the rap sheet. All the things we've done. Boom. Hey, God, we're, we're awesome. We've done all these things. What's the problem here? So we might wrestle with these questions sometimes when trying to live the gospel. In the next couple slides, we're going to take a look at some of these, these aspects of the doctrine of Christ and really get into the weeds as far as intentions. You'll see what I mean in a minute. But let's take, for example, spiritual rebirth or receiving your baptism of fire or whatever you want to call it, right? Becoming the sons and daughters of God. It's got a couple of different names. So in regards to spiritual rebirth, here's one you guys all know. Second Nephi 31.13, right? Justin could sing along with this one. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, I know that if ye shall follow the Son with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God, but with real intent, repenting of your sins, witnessing unto the Father that you're willing to take upon you the name of Christ, then cometh the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. That's all together. Full purpose of heart, no hypocrisy, no deception before God, being totally frank with God about your situation, who you are, what you're struggling with. Those things are, are a key to unlocking the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost, which is all about a brand new heart, a mighty change of heart. Um, so your, your heart, you got to inspect. So we might ask ourselves, what's my intention? Where is my heart with seeking something like this? And these are just a few rough, you know, rough examples are you wondering or, or are you intending a mighty change of heart? Or do you want God to tell you that you're good the way that you are? Is your intention a new disposition for righteousness over evil or is it to have a cool experience? Is your intention to please God by doing his will or is it to know what it's like to have that experience? That'd be cool, right? Remission of sins, is that your focus? Or to abhor sin, is that your intention? Is that where your heart is? Or are you looking to feel better about your sins? Are you looking to become his son or his daughter? Or are you looking to become a member of a new church or a new order? Are you intending to preach God's redemptive power to others? Or are you more focused on telling others your amazing story and your journey? Is your intention to have power through God's Holy Spirit? or power and influence by virtue of the priesthood or some calling or some sort of, you know, so there's a lot of different intentions here that are possible. Um, and last one, do you seek to humbly plead for salvation and grace or are you lo just looking for an assurance that you're elect and that you're exalted? You're looking for a new beginning on a new path or are you looking for a finish line after all your hard work, right? The baptism of fire is the gate. That's the starting point. Ready, set, go. You know, that's where you enter in the path. 
it is by no means, um, you know, a finish line. So, yeah. So with these, there's a million different things you can ask yourself. You know, I really want this thing, but why do I want it? Right. And get to where your heart is and what your intentions are. And I think the Lord can help you help reveal some of those things to you. And every person's probably in a different spot, um, different thoughts, different concerns, different goals, different whatever. Like I said, these are just kind of some loose ideas I threw out there just to get our brains, you know, cycling through. In regards to prayer, Moroni 7, 6 through 9 says, If a man offereth a gift or prayeth unto God, except he shall do it with real intent, it profiteth him nothing. And likewise also it's countered evil unto a man, if he shall pray and not with real intent of heart. Yea, and it profiteth him nothing, for God receiveth none such. Alma 34, 28. For after ye have prayed mightily, if ye turn away the na- needy and the naked, and visit not the sick and the afflicted, and in part of your substance, if you have, to those who stand in need, I say unto you, if you do not do any of these things, behold, your prayer is vain and availeth you nothing, and ye are as hypocrites who deny the faith. That was kind of harsh. But with this question of prayer, you know, let's take a look at some of these. Is my intention to obey answers no matter what or to obey answers if it's convenient, right? To know his revealed will or to conform to what we already know, to confirm what we already know, excuse me. Is our intention to learn the truth or to be comforted? Is our intention the path of discipleship, which can be rocky and rough sometimes? Or is it carnal security? Do we just want to be safe and protected all the time? Is our intention to bless others or to seek blessings for ourselves? Is it to have mighty prayer or routine prayer? And there are times when you you might oscillate between some of these. I'm not saying all of these are necessarily good or bad in all cases. You know, there's a lot of specificity in regards to what you're going through to where these things might change, you know, what you need, what you're asking for, and that's okay. But keep in mind these things before we ask the Lord. I think that can be very helpful to see where we're coming from. In regards to seeking forgiveness, Moroni 6, 8 says, but as oft as they repented and sought forgiveness with real intent, they were forgiven. There it is again. It's attached to all of these commandments from the Lord with real intent, with full purpose of heart. Mosiah 4.10, King Benjamin says, and again, believe that you must repent of your sins and forsake them and humble yourselves before God and ask in sincerity of heart that he would forgive you. If you believe these things, see that you do them. What is your intention in regards to seeking forgiveness from the Lord? Is it to forsake your sins or to justify or excuse your sins to God? Lord, I had a bad day. Here's why I did it. Whatever. Is it to change or is it simply to apologize? Are you seeking with your intentions strength from God to overcome your weakness? Or do you just want another chance to try again? To rely on Christ's mercy and his grace for forgiveness or to rely on your track record for forgiveness, right? Ah, I haven't done this in a number of years. I'm doing great, Lord, you know. Are you seeking stronger faith or stronger willpower? Do you want God to show you his strength or do you want to show God how strong your resolve is, right? Different intentions, right, for the same prayer. And we can see that intentions are probably all over the place, depending on who and what we're going through and what day it is, you know, in regards to knowing the truth. Moroni 10.4, you're familiar with this, uh, most likely if you've read the Book of Mormon or ever went on a mission. 
When you shall receive these things, I would exhort you that you should ask God, the eternal father in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he'll manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. In regards to knowing the truth, what's my intention? Where is my heart with these types of prayers? Is it to know the truth so I can follow it? Or is it to know the truth because I'm curious? Is my intention to be taught or to confirm that my assumptions are correct? Is my intention to begin relying on God for all truth or to be able to check the box and say, yes, I have prayed about it? Is my intention to seek responsibility and obligation to the truth or to be free of obligation of having to follow some old books, you know? And lastly, what is my intention? Is it truth despite all of the ramifications on my friends, family, work, reputation, neighborhood, or whatever? Or is my intention to seek the truth, but only if it agrees with what my church leaders, my pastors, my prophet, what they believe and they teach? Different intentions. Spiritual gifts. We're almost done with these. I think there's one or two more of these. But um, in DNC 46, verses 7 through 9, it says, That which the Spirit testifies unto you, even so I would that ye should do in all holiness of heart, walking uprightly before me, considering the end of your salvation, doing all things with prayer and thanksgiving that ye may not be seduced by evil spirits or doctrines of devils or the commandments of men for some are of men and others are of devils. Wherefore beware lest you are deceived and that ye may not be deceived. Seek earnestly the best gifts, always remembering for what they are given, what intent they have, what a real intent for verily I say unto you, they are given for the benefit of those who love me and keep all my commandments now, this is pretty comforting for us. You know, gospel can be pretty rigid sometimes if you read into it, but I like this part here. For those who love me and keep all my commandments and him that seeketh so to do. You can have an intention to be obedient, even though you're not perfect. And that's okay. The Lord is willing to take that into, into consideration because he's looking at the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Remember, not your track record, not your perfection list. So if you seek to follow all the commandments of God, I think you're okay with him, but eventually you gotta, you gotta actually do some things that all may be benefited that seek or that ask of me that ask and not for a sign that they may consume it upon their lusts, right? With this one, spiritual gifts. Why do we want them? What is our intention with seeking a spiritual gift to benefit all who love the Lord or to consume it upon our own lusts? Is it to believe in God's gift, regardless of whether or not they manifest or is it to seek a sign from God and only believe if they are manifest? Is it to show the world how good God is? Or is it to show people how amazing you are? Is it to give freely to all the people in need? Or is it to get gain, monetary or social, you know? Um, is your intention with seeking spiritual gifts to be changed or to be merely entertained by supernaturalism? Or miracles. Anyway. I don't know. And like I said, in, in my life, I've found myself all over the spectrum of some of these. And that spirit just keeps nagging me and, and making me pay attention to these ideas of real intent, full purpose of heart, 
there's a lot to it. It's all over the scriptures. So I think this is our last one as far as, as how to look at intents, you know, from all over the place. But how about escaping Babylon and seeking Zion? That's a pretty popular topic these days, right? We all want to go and build this new Jerusalem and be part of Zion. And that's a good thing. In Mosiah chapter 7, verse 33, it says, But if you will turn to the Lord with full purpose of heart, there it is again, and put your trust in him and serve him with all diligence of mind. If you do this, he will, according to his own will and pleasure, deliver you out of bondage. DNC 64, verses 22 and 34. And after that day, I, the Lord, will not hold any guilty that shall go with an open heart up to the land of Zion. For I, the Lord, require the hearts of the children of men. Require. Strong word, not optional, right? The Lord requires our hearts to be in this. If you're going to be part of Zion, your heart has to be in it. I, the Lord, require the hearts of the children of men. Behold, the Lord requireth the heart and a willing mind, and the willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land of Zion in these last days. Last one, thou shalt not be proud in thy heart. Let your garments be plain, and their beauty be the beauty of the work of thine own hands. He that is idle shall not eat of the bread, nor wear the garments of the laborer. DNC chapter 42. Last one. What's my intention with seeking Zion or escaping? Is it to be unified with one heart with my peers? Or is it to be among the cream of the crop, a step above everybody else? That'd be cool, right? The exclusive club of Zion. Is my intention to produce excess for the poor, to share the abundance that I have with the poor? Or is it to consume all the excess from the rich? Is it to give everything required to God if he requires it? Or is your intention to get first dibs on that prime real estate in Jackson County? Can our intention be to evolve towards full human potential in a perfect society and a law given by the Lord himself? Or do we simply want to avoid being left behind or destroyed? Because that's pretty scary. Do we want joy in actively participating in the cause of Zion? Or do we have a fear of missing out, right? What's driving us? What are our intentions here? And like I said, they can be anywhere on, on this. However, when we ask the Lord for things, the main idea in pointing out these slides here is to show you that there's lots of different intentions people can have with all of these different gospel topics. And I've showed you scripturally that real intent and full purpose of heart are attached to all of these commandments God has given us. I didn't just find two or three scriptures and think of an abstract principle. This is everywhere. And this has been really scripturally heavy because I wanted you guys to see how abundant this message is from the Lord that we need to pay attention to, which is we need to have good intentions and we need to have a full purpose of heart in order for these things to work. So let's look at some of the examples. What, what does this actually look like, right? When someone has full purpose of heart or a real intent, Mark, can you show us in the scriptures what that looks like so we can kind of model that? Sure. You guys are familiar with uh, King Lamoni's story, right? Alma chapter 22, verses 15 through 18. After Aaron had expounded these things unto Lamoni, the king said, What shall I do that I may have this eternal life which thou hast spoken? Yea, what shall I do that I may be born of God, having this wicked spirit rooted out of my breast, and receive his spirit? 
that I may be filled with joy, that I may not be cast out at the last day. Behold, said he, I will give up all that I possess. Yea, I will forsake my kingdom that I may receive this great joy. I don't think the Lord wanted that necessarily. In verse 16, it says, but Aaron said unto him, if thou desirest this thing, if thou wilt bow down before God, and if thou wilt repent of all your sins, and will bow down before the Lord and call upon his name in faith, believing that you shall receive, then shalt thou receive the hope which thou desirest. And it came to pass that when Aaron had said these words, the king did bow down before the Lord upon his knees. Yea, even he did prostrate himself upon the earth and cried mightily, saying, O God, Aaron hath told me that there is a God. And if there is a God, and if thou art God, wilt thou make thyself known unto me? And I will give away all my sins to know thee, that I may be raised from the dead and be saved at the last day. King Lamoni was willing to give up everything, even his kingdom his reputation, but I think the kicker was in that last line, I will give away all my sins to know thee. Does the Lord want our kingdoms? Does he want our houses? Does he want our cars? I, I, maybe, but I, you know, he hasn't shown me that. You know, um, But what he wants is what he was willing to die for, and that was all of our sins. He wants to make us clean. He wants to have the Holy Spirit wrought upon us and cleanse us. He wants to make us his sons and daughters. He wants to redeem us. That was the entire point of his suffering. He's begging us to let him in and to give away all of our sins that we can know him. Whatever it is that's holding us back, whatever we have that's not quite up for sale yet, we need to be willing to give that up or at least work towards that as a goal in our lives to get to that point to where our, our heart is truly soft and we're willing to um, give him whatever he's asking for. In this case, he didn't ask for Lamoni's kingdom. He just wanted his sins so he could remit them. Okay, the apostles in Acts chapter 2, New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 42. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Maybe some didn't gladly receive it, but they that were receiving it gladly, with good intentions, they went and got baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking bread and in prayers. These were not flaky converts. When these people made the decision to follow Christ and take his name upon them, they continued steadfastly afterwards in learning, in studying, in praying, in taking the sacrament, in fellowshipping each other. These people were willing, like in Mosiah 18, to bear one another's burdens, right? that they may be light and whatever else they did in that, in that covenant they made with God willing to mourn with those that mourn. And so these people, these converts were solid. They were truly converted. They were born again 
and they did it with real intent. And Jesus told us, blessed are these people. Third Nephi 12, verses 2 and 3, again, more blessed are they who shall believe in your words because that they shall testify that ye have seen me and that ye know that I am. Yea, blessed are they who shall believe in your words, talking to the 12, and come down into the depths of humility and be baptized. It didn't say believe in your words and get baptized. There's, there's always that attachment there. You see? That real intent, that full purpose of heart, it's how they do it that's important to the Lord. If they believe on your words and come down into the depths of humility, we can't leave that out, and be baptized for they, those people that do all of that, including come down in the depths of humility, shall be visited with fire and with the Holy Ghost and shall receive a remission of their sins. Yea, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the Matthew version, I think. But blessed are the poor in spirit who come unto me. Theirs is the kingdom. I was hesitant to put this in there, but I'm going to do it anyway. So we're going to look at some other examples of where real intent and full purpose of heart turned into fake intent and half purpose of heart and, and what that led to as far as the spiritual consequences of that. I think it's really important to talk about both sides of this, right? There are blessings if you get it right, but there are also condemnations if you get it wrong. And I know this is going to be some pretty heavy stuff and that's okay, but I'm, I'm going to stick to just church history and the scriptures for this stuff. In June of 1829, there was a revelation, DNC section 18, regarding the 12 apostles that would be chosen one day in this dispensation. And now behold, there are others who are called to declare my gospel, both unto Gentile and unto Jew. Yea, even 12 and the 12 shall be my disciples and they shall take upon them my name. And the 12 are they who shall desire to take upon them my name with what? There it is again with full purpose of heart. You want to be an apostle of the Lord. You got to get this down. Right? He's saying here a description of who these men are with full purpose of heart. And if they desire to take upon them my name with full purpose of heart, they are called to go into all the world to preach my gospel unto every creature. And they are they who are ordained of me to baptize in my name according to that which is written. And you have that which is written before you. Wherefore, you must perform it according to the words which are written. No shortcuts here. The Lord is serious. You got, you got to, you know, if you're going to be an apostle chosen, there's certain things you got to do. And now I speak unto you, the 12 behold, my grace is sufficient for you. Do these 12 have to be perfect? No. The Lord says, I know you're not perfect essentially. And so he throws that in there. Behold, my grace is sufficient for you. It's okay. If you're repentant, and if your heart's in the right place, I'll take you and I can make you clean. I can, I can get you to the level I need you to be at. He's not asking for perfection here. And that's good because some of the 12 that were called were not perfect. But they did have a chance to have his grace and to be repentant and to have a soft heart. They were all given an opportunity. Behold, my grace is sufficient for you and you must walk uprightly before me and sin not. Later on, same chapter. And now behold, I give unto you Oliver Cowdery and also unto David Whitmer that you shall search out the 12 who shall have the desires of which I have spoken. And by their desires and their works, you shall know them. And when you have found them, you shall show these things unto them. 
this section 18, right? You're familiar with this. Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, Martin Harris, they unite in prayer in February 14th, 1835. This is in the history of the church. And then they choose 12 men. They get together and they pray about these 12 men. Lyman Johnson, Brigham Young, Heber Kimball, Orson Hyde, David Patton, Luke Johnson, William McClellan, John Boynton, Orson Pratt, William Smith, Thomas Marsh, and Parley Pratt. These are the original 12 that were chosen to fit this bill. Now, in that first paragraph up there, you'll notice that there's a meeting where Joseph Smith, after making remarks about choosing the 12, how it's going to work, he wanted an expression from the brethren if they would be satisfied to have the spirit of the Lord dictate in the choice of the elders to be the apostles. Whereupon all the elders present expressed their anxious desire to have it so. Nobody was sitting out here. They all wanted in. They wanted to know the Lord's will regarding this. All right. So here's a blessing that was given to William Smith. We pray that he, William Smith, may be purified in heart, that he may have communion with God, that he may be equal with his brethren holding the keys of this ministry. So see God, purified heart. That was the objective here. But the Lord gave them some time. On February 21st, about a week later, there's the famous apostolic charge, which is given by Oliver Cowdery, February 21st, 1835, History of the Church, Volume 2, Chapter 13. You can find this in its full text. I'm just going to include a couple little portions here. It becomes my duty, Oliver said, to deliver to you a charge and first a few remarks respecting your ministry. He then read Revelation, which was section 18. Remember that? He then read the revelation and said, have you desired this ministry with all your hearts? He's talking to these newly called 12. If you have desired it, you are called of God, not of man, to go into the world. Later, he says, brethren, you have had your duty presented in this revelation. You have received it from those who have the power and authority from an angel. You are to preach the gospel to every nation. Should you in the least degree come short of your duty, great will be your condemnation. For the greater the calling, the greater the transgression. I therefore warn you to cultivate great humility, for I know the pride of the human heart. Beware, lest the flatterers of the world lift you up. Beware, lest your affections be captivated by worldly objects. Let your ministry be first. He's asking them to have a real intent, like be all in with his calling. Your intention needs to be to serve and glorify God and nothing else. Remember, the souls of men are committed to your charge. And if you mind your calling, you shall always prosper. The Lord has given them promises. If you stick with me, you give me your full heart and you're really in this. I will lead you along. You'll have forgiveness of sins. I will bear you up. I will give you my spirit to deliver you out of difficult times. Later on in the apostolic charge from Oliver Cowdery, it says, it's necessary that you receive a testimony from heaven for yourselves so that you can bear testimony to the truth of the Book of Mormon and that you have seen the face of God. Never cease striving until you have seen God face to face. Strengthen your faith, cast off your doubts, your sins, and all your unbelief, and nothing can prevent you from coming to God. Your ordination is not full and complete until God has laid his hand upon you. 
we require as much to qualify us as did those who have gone before us. God is the same. If the Savior in former days laid his hands upon his disciples, why not in the latter days? The Lord is trying to build Paul's, Timothy's, right? Uh, John, John the Revelators, out of these people, these Brigham Youngs, Parley Pratt, and et cetera, these 12 men, the Lord has the same goal for these 12. Okay, later on it says, beware that you not lose your crowns. It will require your whole souls. It will require courage like Enoch's. The greatness of your commission consists in this. You're to hold the keys to this ministry you are to go to the nations afar off, nations that sit in darkness. If you will not warn them, others will, and you will lose your crowns. You will be stewards over this ministry. You have a work to do that no other men can do. You must proclaim the gospel in its simplicity and purity. And that could have been a warning as well. And we commend you to God and the work of his grace. You have our best wishes. You have our most fervent prayers that you may be able to bear this testimony that you have seen the face of God. Again, that's the intent of all this stuff is to make these apostles actual special witnesses, not regular witnesses, special ones. And he's saying only the apostles can go out and do this. Therefore, call upon him in faith and mighty prayer until you prevail. For it is your duty and your privilege to bear such testimony for yourselves. We now exhort you to be faithful to fulfill your calling. There must be no lack here. Now, here's the kicker. At the very end of this thing, he's in a meeting with these 12. Joseph is present as well. He then took them separately by the hand and said, Do you with full purpose of heart? Take part in this ministry to proclaim the gospel with all diligence, with these your brethren, according to the tenor and what? And intent of the charge you have received. And we just went over what this charge was for. They're supposed to rise up and see God face to face and sanctify themselves to become special witnesses. That's the charge. Every single one of them took Oliver by the hand and answered in the affirmative that they would take on with full purpose of heart. That's a very express here. I've showed you three or four times. Full purpose of heart is part of the equation. And all of them said they would. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to overstep my boundaries and be too critical of these men. They had an incredibly difficult job to do, I believe. Right. And it's easy for us to sit back 200 years later and, and poke fun at these guys or whatever. But the story must be told regardless because it's to illustrate how the Lord works among the children of men. If I were called in that meeting, I, I might have fizzled as well. I don't know if I could have ever done this. That was a very tough calling for them. They were away from their families for a long time. However, two and a half years later, the president of the 12 is Thomas B. Marsh. DNC 112 is about the condition of the 12 apostles and what Thomas B. Marsh is supposed to do about it. I know thy heart, talking to Thomas B. Marsh, and have heard thy prayers concerning thy brethren. Thomas B. Marsh is pleading to the Lord on behalf of the 12. How do I help these guys get there? And pray for thy brethren of the 12. Admonish them sharply for my name's sake. And let them be admonished for all of their sins. And be ye faithful before me unto my name. They're having some troubles, right? With, 
with cleanliness and, and purity of heart. You can see sin is starting to creep in. They need a sharp admonition. You know, the Lord says in DNC 122, like, you know, reprove be time sharply when moved upon by the spirit. He's asking um, Thomas Marsh to do this to some of the 12. And after their temptations in verse 13, and after their temptations and much tribulation, behold, I, the Lord will feel after them. There's still mercy. And if they harden not their hearts and stiffen not their necks against me, they shall be converted and I will heal them. It's interesting that so far they're not converted. Now I say unto you, and what I say unto you, I say unto all the 12, arise, gird up your loins, take up your cross, follow me and get out there and feed my sheep. Go, like, what do you guys, you know, get out there into the nations. Um, exalt not yourselves. Rebel not against my servant Joseph. Uh-oh. We might have had some difficulty with Brother Joseph, right? Disagreements or whatnot. There's rebellion against Joseph, according to this verse in 15. For verily I say unto you, I am with him, and my hand shall be over him, and the keys which I have given unto him, and to you also to you, word, shall not be taken from him till I come. So you can see that even a couple of years later, there's still some struggles with these people rising up to their calling and doing it really with full purpose of heart. And, you know, Brigham Young became the president of the 12 while he was in England. He was sustained. Thomas Marsh was, was kicked out or excommunicated. And so Brigham Young, you know the story. Brigham Young, he's the successor of Joseph Smith. The saints sustained him as their leader. And his calling, as well as the rest of the twelves, was still in place. These are a few things that he said in regards to how he, how he measured up to that apostolic charge. Brigham Young said in 1844, this is just a couple months after Joseph and Hiram are dead. You are now without a prophet present with you in the flesh to guide you, but you are not without apostles. He also said... Four years after leaving for Salt Lake Valley, a person was mentioned today who did not believe Brigham Young was a prophet, seer, and a revelator. I wish to ask every member of this whole community if they ever heard him profess to be a prophet, seer, and revelator, as Joseph was. Who ordained me to be first president of this church on earth? I answer, it is the choice of this people, and that is sufficient. He's not claiming to be like Joseph. He's not claiming those prophetic gifts. He was saying, you know, they voted me in and that's good enough, right? There's a difference between the charge he was given as an apostle and where he stands now as far as how he sees himself. A year later, Brigham Young says, now, I, now will it cause some of you to marvel that I was not ordained a high priest before I was ordained apostle? Brother Kimball and myself were never ordained high priests. Wait, what? 107 says you have to be a high priest to be president of the church. See? You can see some of this stuff. These are his own words. 1860, June 3rd, he says, the brethren testify that brother Brigham Young is brother Joseph's legal successor. You think he'd fight for this one a little bit. You never heard me say so. I say that I am a good hand to keep the dogs and the wolves out of the flock. 1860, 12 years after he left to Utah. 1870, 22 years later, October 6th, 1870, Brigham Young is saying, 
Brigham Young has said, when he sends forth his discourses to the world, they may call them scripture. I say now when they are copied and approved by me, they are as good as scripture as is couched in the Bible. And if you want to read the revelation, read revelation, read the sayings of him who knows the mind of God. And so you can see little glimpses that some of these 12 never quite rose up and got those gifts that the Lord had in store for them, becoming true apostles who have seen God face to face. And again, I know it sounds critical. I haven't seen God face to face either, but you know, that would be a tough calling. But you see in the history of the church that the 12 struggled with the idea of having all of their hearts in the work. They got distracted in Nauvoo for a time. They got into embezzling funds. They were collecting funds from the Nauvoo temple to build it. And Joseph said that they were stealing $200 a day and putting it towards the Masonic Lodge to get that finished before they start working on the, the Nauvoo temple. That's worth about $6,000 in today's money. Every day, that much was being socked away, embezzled from the 12. They got a little distracted. They got caught up in polygamy to some extent, you know. Um, they started teaching some really deep doctrines that may or may not have been true. But anyway, the Lord warned them, hey, stick with me. This is your calling with full purpose of heart. I want you in this. Your job is to teach the doctrine of Christ, to repent and have real intent. And then I will give you the endowment to go out and, and do these things. Heber C. Kimball said in 1857, now he was a first counselor in the first presidency at this time, at this time. I do not profess to be a prophet. I never called myself so. But I actually believe I am because people all the time are telling me that I am. Nobody seems really certain about their prophetic gifts. And that's my whole point here. It's, it's not to throw people under the bus, but I'm saying like, if your heart's not in it and you don't fulfill your calling that the Lord has given you. And 1878 was a long ways later. This is what Orson Pratt said about he and, and his brethren in the twelve. This failure to realize all the blessings and powers of the priesthood does not apply to the elders and lesser priesthood only, but it applies to the higher quorums and comes home to ourselves, who are apostles of Jesus Christ. We are presented before the church and sustained as prophets, seers, and revelators. And we have received oft times the gift of prophecy and revelation and have received many great and glorious gifts, but have we received the fullness of the blessings to which we're entitled? No, we have not. Who among the apostles have become seers and enjoy all the gifts and powers pertaining to that calling? Now, I don't think many of us have attained to these gifts. He would know. You know, he's, he's hanging out with the 12. But it is not the fault of the Almighty, but the fault is in ourselves. And I have thought the reason why we have not enjoyed these gifts more fully is because we have not sought for them as diligently as we ought. I speak for one I have not sought as diligently as I might have done. More than 40 years have passed away since these promises were made. I have been blessed with some revelations and prophecies with dreams of things that come to pass. But as to seeing things as a seer and beholding heavenly things in open vision, I have not attained to these things. And who is to blame for this? Not the Lord, not Brother Joseph. They are not to blame. We do not live up to our privileges as saints of God and elders of Israel, for though we receive many blessings that are promised to us, we do not receive them in their fullness because we do not ask, seek for them as diligently and faithful as we should. So he's saying even a number of years later, decades later, he's saying, I, I don't really know 
I don't think many of us have attained these gifts to be able to see heavenly visions, to be able to see God, to be able to see angels. He's just saying that like, you know, we fell short a little bit on our callings. So it's just how it happened. If you're familiar with the church history, some of the condemnation came upon the church as early as 1832. There was a warning shot in DNC 84. But by 1834, May 1834, the name of the church had changed, you know, and there were some, there were some struggles. They had to repent and return to him. In DNC section 63, verses 61 through 63, this is August 1831, year and a couple months after the church was organized. Wherefore, let all men beware how they take my name in their lips. For behold, verily I say that many there be who are under this condemnation. 1831, this is early. Who use the name of the Lord and use it in vain, having not authority? Wherefore, let the church repent of their sins, and I, the Lord, will own them. Mercy. Otherwise, they shall be cut off. Here it is, DNC 84. You can hear this probably quite a bit. And this is um, about a year later, September 23rd, 1832. The Lord says to Joseph, and your minds in times past have been darkened because of unbelief, and because you have treated lightly the things that you have received which vanity and unbelief have brought the whole church under condemnation. And this condemnation rests upon the children of Zion, even all. And they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent and remember the new covenant, even the Book of Mormon, and the former commandments which I have given them, not only to say, but to do. There's that real intent, right? Not only to say, but to do according to that which I have written. DNC 90. This is March 1833. About uh, eight or nine months later. Verily I say unto you, the keys of this kingdom shall never be taken from you while thou art in the world, neither in the world to come. He's talking to Joseph Smith. Nevertheless, through you shall the oracles be given to another, yea, even unto the church. The oracles are the revelations, the published revelations. There are two quotes from Joseph where he states that the oracles are the written revelations from God. You know, sometimes we'll say that the oracles are, were the keys, you know, the keys of the presidency or whatever were passed along. No, the oracles are the revelations. It's the doctrine and covenants, you know, it's, it's the written published word. And all they who receive the oracles of God, let them beware how they hold them, lest they are accounted as a light thing and are brought under condemnation thereby and stumble and fall when the storms descend and the winds blow and the rains descend and beat upon their house. Lord is giving us another warning. Treat my written word seriously. Make sure that your actions line up with what you're claiming to be. I don't like hypocrisy. Jesus in Jerusalem, he slammed hypocrites and Pharisees. You know, he was very harsh on hypocrisy. This is the same God in the 1830s and 40s that we're dealing with. The rules haven't changed. And so we have to be very, very vigilant and pay attention to some of these things. And according to the commandments, these little phrases about how we are to do this, what kind of a heart, what kind of intent we need to have, ideally. A lot of you know this one, DNC 124, verse 32. This is January 19th, 1841. Quite a ways late, later on. But behold, at the end of this appointment for your baptisms for your dead, at the end of this appointment, meaning to finish the Nauvoo house and the Nauvoo temple before the death of Joseph, your baptisms for your dead shall not be acceptable unto me. And if you do not these things, 
At the end of the appointment, ye shall be rejected as a church with your dead, saith the Lord your God. So he's serious about this stuff. You need to do this stuff, not just talk about it, not just preach about it, but actually do it. Keeping our intentions pure. Now we're just winding down. I know it's been about an hour. So a couple slides left. Let's wrap this all up. How do we keep our intentions pure? Joseph Smith gave us a lot of fantastic information about the details regarding what kind of attitudes we need to have. DNC 121, letter from Liberty Jail. Behold, there are many called, but few are chosen. Why are they not chosen? Because their hearts, there's that heart again, because their hearts are set so much upon the things of the world and they aspire to the honors of men that they don't learn this one lesson. The rights of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven and that the powers of heaven cannot be controlled nor handled only upon the principles of righteousness that they may be conferred upon us. It's true. But when we undertake to cover our sins or to gratify our pride, our vain ambition, that's that intent is not quite right, right? That real intent's not there. If you have ambition that's vain, you're trying to gratify your pride. You're trying to cover your sins. You're not being frank and honest with the Lord or yourself. It's deception. When we undertake to cover our sins, to gratify our pride or vain ambition, to, or to exercise control or dominion or compulsion upon the souls of the children of men in any degree of unrighteousness, behold, the heavens withdraw themselves. This is interesting. We have learned by sad experience that it is the nature and disposition of almost all men. As soon as they get a little authority, as they suppose, or perhaps a calling, they will immediately begin to exercise unrighteous dominion. Hence, many are called who are chosen. No power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood. Only by persuasion, by long-suffering, by gentleness, meekness, and love unfeigned. What does unfeigned mean? Don't fake it. It's got to be real love. You know, you got, your heart's got to be in it. By kindness and pure knowledge. What's pure knowledge? Brother Jared had pure knowledge at some point. Through experiences, you can have true knowledge. And what happens when you have that? And pure knowledge and kindness, which shall greatly enlarge the soul without hypocrisy and without guile. Guile is often interpreted as, as guilt, without guilt or without strategy, without being cunning. You know, there's, there's a, a level of guile with some people that are too strategic about living the gospel, right? They're hiding their sins or doing these things. Without guile, you got to be frank with the Lord honest with him, open with him and yourself and have that real intent and a righteous intent, as well as a full purpose of heart that he's asked for. Okay. We're, uh, we're winding down here in James chapter one, verses 22 through 25. I love this one. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridle not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. 
pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and keep himself unspotted from the world. James puts a heavy emphasis on doing it. I showed you this slide a little bit earlier. DNC 46, this is a chapter we all know about spiritual gifts, right? Remember, remember what these spiritual gifts are given. Do it in all holiness of heart, walking uprightly before him and consider the end of your salvation. That's the intent. The intent with all of this is to be saved in the kingdom of God. Remember that as you're doing these things. Do all things as prayer and thanksgiving. Later on, at towards the end, it says, always remembering for what these gifts are given. They are given for the benefit of those who love me and keep all my commandments and remember this. And him that seeketh so to do. Do you seek to follow the Lord's commandments? Do you desire righteousness to serve him if you do you are called to the work and that's okay that's pleasing to him right all of this stuff sounds really harsh and it it probably is but at the end of the day i wanted to end this message with saying that the lord has promised us that if we give him full purpose of heart and real intent his grace is sufficient to cover our sins he can atone for us he can endow us with the Holy Ghost and the gifts and the power to teach with his spirit, to speak with the tongue of angels. That's the good news of the gospel. It does not require perfection at all. But a shortcut to getting there, I believe, and I believe that Christ taught it very specifically, is to work on your heart, to have a full purpose of heart. Try to get your heart into this work. You know, try to. Try to raise how much you care and how much you're trying to build his kingdom for his sake. And I believe that the Lord in his infinite mercy, like he, he can reach out to us and he can help us get there. But he does need us to be serious. He, our hearts need to be in this. Our intentions need to be pure. Um, and, he, and he said that in the scriptures. I know I've beat you overhead with so many scriptures. But remember, remember these two scriptures at the very beginning? I'm going to circle back to these. Why is the Lord trying to get us to have integrity or to have real intent or a full purpose of heart? Because that's what he has. And he's trying to teach us to come unto him and to be like his son, Jesus Christ, so that we too can have a fullness of joy and an abundance of the spirit. And we can fulfill the measure of our creation. God is teaching us how to love like he loves, how to serve like he does, and to not be distracted with hypocrisy and, you know, stratagem and all these other things that are of a telestial fallen nature. If we can just get rid of those things and focus on him with our hearts and our intents, I have a testimony that he will reach out to us. He will help us and his grace is sufficient for us. I believe that there's nobody here on this planet who can't reach the heavens and to be heard by God. He's rooting for us. He wants us to come unto him, but he wants us to come unto him in the way that he's asked of us, which is to have a full purpose of heart and to do it with a real intent. Don't just say it, but do it. And I leave that testimony with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.